Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. Right. Good morning. Uh, so good to see you uh, today. Um, good to be together. My name is Steve Perkins, one of the pastors here at Northgate. I'll be outside those doors after the service. I'd love to uh, meet you there, get to know you there. There's, there's something I want to give you a couple of announcements today. There's something very um, exciting uh, happening here at Northgate behind uh, the scenes. Um, it's called Grow. And uh, for the past two years, uh, here's what we've been doing. We've been investing in a small group of leaders, teaching them to follow Jesus and teaching them to help others follow Jesus. Uh, and they are people you know. Well, those two years are up. Uh, that group has completed its training, so to speak. And uh, we are ready for a new batch to get started. And so I want to invite that group up right now alongside Pastor Jeff, who leads this initiative. Coming up, guys. Um, these guys have signed up for a, a big thing. It's a two-year commitment. Uh, they meet weekly, they serve weekly, they have mentors, they themselves are each mentoring people. They all have specific people praying for them. Uh, but what, what we realize is that as they grow as disciples of Christ, as they grow as leaders, other people are going to become disciples of Christ because of them. Other people are going to grow in leadership because of them. And you may recall, Jesus started with a very small group of 12 men who went on to change the world. And these men and women will do the same. So will you extend a hand to them like this, as if you're laying hands on them as we pray? Let's, let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, we thank you for these leaders. We thank you for these disciples. Um, we thank you for this commitment they've made in the busyness of their lives, to set this time apart, to be commissioned, and to do what it is you want them to do. And so that's what we do. We commission them now as they begin this new season of grow. Protect them, stretch them, use them, teach them. Fill them all with your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Will you just give them a warm affirmation this morning? Thank you, guys. Thank you. One more announcement, which you already heard um, in the video announcements today. After the service, five minutes or so after we're done, we're hosting something called Northgate News Flash. We've done that once before. We're going to try it again. Um, it's a great way to find out what's happening here at Northgate. We're going to talk about some things that we don't typically talk about here on the weekends. Um, Program-wise, finances. Uh, staff transitions, you name it. It's only about 15 minutes long, maybe 20. Um, but I'll remind you, there's no Vikings game today. So you don't have to get ready for that. What else are you going to do? Grab your kids, um, grab a cup of coffee, and come in for a short update about what's happening here at the church. Again, it's called Northgate News Flash, and it'll start a few minutes after we're done here today. All right. A couple of uh, years ago, I remember getting pretty upset about something, getting uh, kind of angry. Do you ever get angry? My daughter was uh, learning to ski. Two of my sons were learning to snowboard. Will Wojcik, our, our worship leader, was teaching my sons, uh, God bless them, how to snowboard. And I was teaching my daughter how to ski. Now, as a skier, 
Um, I don't like snowboards or snowboarders, for that matter. Um, I sort of like Will, sort of. Um, <laughs> but I, I cannot imagine why anyone would ever want a snowboard, uh, but that's what my kids wanted to do, and as a parent, that's what you do. You do what makes your kids happy. Well, anyone who's ever learned to snowboard knows that in the learning process, you spend a lot of time on your backside. You just can't stop, and so you crash, and sometimes you crash into a skier, which is why I don't like snowboarders. Well, uh, nobody enjoys falling, uh, especially teenagers. I mean, the first thing we all do whenever we fall is make sure that nobody was there to witness it, um, no matter how hurt we may be. Well, when my oldest fell, uh, someone did see it. It happened to be a friend of his. We did not come with him. He just coincidentally was on the same ski hill the same day as we were, small world, and even though he's on skis, and even though he doesn't really know how to snowboard himself, he's having a great time laughing at my son's expense, watching him unsuccessfully try to learn how to snowboard. And finally, as a dad, I just have enough. So I ski down to this 14-year-old punk, uh, <laughs> Christian punk, mind you, and I say to him, um, hey, buddy, the confidence you have in Christ means you can feel good about yourself without having to put others down. Um, now, what I really wanted to do was kick his butt across that ski hill, uh, but I opted for good old-fashioned spiritual manipulation. <laughs> and it worked. Uh, when I said it to him, uh, he looked like he was going to mess his pants. <laughs> and he just stood there silently for what seemed like a minute, eventually nodding and sheepishly responding, yes, sir, you're right. My kids watching this did not know whether to laugh or hide. They did both. And one of them asked me later that day, Dad, what about turning the other cheek? My response, your job is to turn the other cheek. My job as a parent is to get justice. <laughs> so having heard that story, let me ask again, do you ever get angry. Uh, in today's scripture, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus will warn against us holding on to anger a little too long, and he's going to challenge you. This morning's message is not an easy message. This morning's passage is not an easy passage. Jesus has been challenging me every day this week, preparing this message. We're in week four of a message series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest body of teaching, and it's changing us. God's kicking our butts. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about how Jesus came to fulfill God's law, not abolish it, meaning, and we'll see this today in spades, Jesus doesn't come to lower the standard. He comes to raise the standard. And in doing so, he, he's not making new laws. He's explaining the old ones. God's law, as Jesus envisions, envisions it, is not kept simply by managing to behave appropriately. In other words, it's not only about external behavior, walking the walk. That's important. I'm sure you all agree that's important. We need to do that. But there's more to it than that. He's not only concerned about what we do externally, he's concerned about how we live internally. How we feel. How we think. 
It goes to the heart. Elsewhere in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. So what Jesus is doing here, he is casting a vision for a life that is not driven externally by rules, but is driven internally by the heart. And obedience in the heart that ultimately leads to us keeping the rules, whatever they may be. An obedience from the heart that loves God and loves God's ways and then behaves accordingly. In six different times in the verses ahead, including the one we'll look at today, Jesus will make the statement, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing is he is countering uh, the Pharisees' teaching of the day, the religious leaders, because they were all about external behavior. In an effort to make themselves feel better, they focused on obeying the law to the letter of the law, but in doing so, what they did is they emptied the law of its meaning. In other words, they didn't worry about the heart, they only worried about the behavior and their list of specific behaviors. And so when Jesus says, you have heard it said, don't murder, or as we'll look at next week, do not commit adultery, the Pharisees in their minds were able to check off those boxes and feel good about themselves. Haven't murdered anyone, check. Haven't committed adultery, check. Because they had not done those specific things. That's true. Now, maybe they had done everything leading up to those things. Leading up to murder. Leading up to adultery. But that's not what mattered in their mind. So, so long as they didn't kill someone or have full-on relations with someone, it wasn't murder. It wasn't adultery. It, it, it's Bill Clinton in the 90s, if you're old enough to remember that. It depends what the definition of is is. It's not sexual relations unless you go all the way. That was their kind of thinking. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. It's, it's not enough just to obey the law externally. That's not the standard. The standard is you've got to obey it internally, too, in your heart. That's the standard. And the religious people, the Pharisees, didn't like that, and the truth is we don't like it either. The truth is we are more like the Pharisees than we realize. We pray like them, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there, that I'm a better person than that person over there, whoever it might be, that you know, punk kid on the ski hill. Actually, a very nice man. He was just having a bad moment. Lord, thank you that I'm a good person, we pray. Unlike that bad person over there, I go to church, I tithe, I volunteer, I vote for the right people, I help at the food shelf. Sometimes, if I'm in a good mood, I even tip bigot restaurants, even when the server doesn't deserve it. Jesus responds, that's nice, but how's your heart? Lord, the heart doesn't matter, we say. What matters is I'm checking the boxes. I'm following the rules. But it does matter, Jesus says. It matters. And that's where we begin today. Let's get started. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.
Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Two points there. They're in your outline. One, anger matters. And two, the heart matters. To hold on to anger is to be guilty of what the commandment, you shall not murder, prohibits. And while murder may be carried out with the hand, and it is, God's commandment not to murder, Jesus says, is also violated in the heart. So whether it's in your head or with your hand, the shared emotion when it comes to murder is contempt. It's hatred. It starts in the heart. And if left unchecked, Jesus says, it finds expression in words. It finds expression in, in actions, even in the eyes. You've no doubt heard the expression of looks could kill. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, tells the story of a man named Hank. And Hank's character and demeanor could be summed up in one word, cranky. Chronic complainer, a skilled pessimist, always finding a cloud where there was a silver lining. And at the same time, Hank was a <clears throat> long-time member of his church. <clears throat> well, one day after a service, a leader in the church confronted Hank, and he asked him, Hank, are you happy? Hank thought for a moment, then he replied with a deadpan, yeah. Leader returned, well, then Hank, tell your face. Only Hank didn't tell his face. He never told his face. He, he never did change. Nobody expected him to change, and he never did. He died an angry man. Don't do that, Jesus said. Don't, whatever you do, stay angry. By the way, the, the, the word anger, anger in the original language in the Greek is not a spontaneous word. We all get mad sometimes, like I did on the ski hill. We all you know, fly off the handle from time to time. I did it once or twice myself this week. What Jesus is getting at is bigger than that. It is deeper than that. Anger, as Jesus explains it, is that darkness of the heart. It's that unforgiving passion cultivated over time. We might use the words resentment or hate. Even so, maybe you say that's extreme. Murder on one hand and resentment on the other. How can the two possibly equate? Well, you know as well as I do. I mean, you know the answer when you think about it. Murder is nothing more than the end product of anger. People who murder are always angry. Think of it this way. If we got rid of anger, we'd get rid of murder. And everything else leading up to it. Road rage, temper tantrums, domestic violence. The whole world as we know it would operate differently. It would be a much kinder place. We wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves because we are so well acquainted with with anger. It's useful, we think. It gets things done. 
Uh, my family were wrapping up our remodel, thank the Lord, and a subcontractor was at my house this week, and very nice guy, but had a bad moment, and he got crazy angry about something. I mean, he flew off the handle at our contractor. And uh, the subcontractor, it's not that he didn't have the right to be angry, the circumstance may have dictated it, but it was how he got angry. That was the problem. He was very destructive in what he said, very personal, murderous. And yes, of course, we always go to this, there is such a thing as righteous anger, and that is not what Jesus is talking about here. But let's be honest, our anger is rarely righteous. Righteous anger, more often than not, doesn't motivate us. We don't care about things that happen to other people. We care about things that happen to us. So our anger is not righteous anger, nine times out of ten. It's self-righteous anger. And obviously, it goes without saying, there are more people who are angry in this world than murder. But if we got rid of anger, we'd get rid of a lot of other behaviors too. Telling people off, hitting people, you name it. So that's why murder, Jesus says, begins in the heart. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's motivated by fear. It's motivated by hurt, by sadness. Someone honks the horn at you, and it makes you feel bad about yourself, and so you get angry. Anger is not necessarily a sin. Like I said, there is such a thing as righteous anger. But most anger is right next door to sin. And it's something Jesus says you can learn to live without. And if you learn to live without anger, Jesus says, you're not going to miss it. So that's why Jesus says murder begins in the heart. You see, this isn't a new law Jesus is giving. It's the same old law. The Pharisees had just dumbed it down a little, and now Jesus is interpreting it correctly. And he goes on to say that just as murder results in judgment in this world, and it does, if you kill someone and you get caught, you'll go to prison, or maybe you'll even die yourself. Just as murder results in judgment, so God punishes anger. A murder is sinful, no doubt, but holding on to anger, Jesus says, is just as sinful. So let me ask, do you ever get angry? Do you ever stay angry? I'll ask it this way. What's the condition of your heart? Well, you say it's not that great these days, but it's not worse than anyone else's. And that's how we justify things. We compare ourselves to others. And we say things like, it's not like I've ever murdered anyone or anything. And I go to church, and I'm a good person, and all these different things. But that's not the question. The question is not an external one, what are you doing? The question is an internal one, how's your heart? Again, this isn't about losing your temper occasionally, which isn't good. Of course it's not. But it's deeper than that. It's about nursing an anger. It's a brooding anger in the soul. Sin, not just of the hand, but of the heart. And don't get me wrong, Jesus isn't saying, <clears throat> if you're angry with someone, you've murdered them. That's not really what he's saying. No, what he's saying is that anger can be just as sinful as murder, and it is almost always certainly the root cause of murder. Think about Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis. 
Um, Adam and Eve's boys, the first dysfunctional family, and it didn't take long for things to get ugly. You maybe know the story, both Cain and Abel make offerings to the Lord. The only problem, God likes Abel's offering better than Cain's, and when Cain gets wind of that, he can't handle it. He gets jealous of his brother, and God confronts Cain on that matter, on his jealousy, on his hatred of his brother. He says, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. It wants to rule you. You've got to overcome it. You've got to get a grip on it. But does he listen? No, of course not. Cain holds on to that anger. <clears throat> and in his anger, he ends up crafting a plan. His anger, instead of Cain ruling his anger, his anger rules him. It moves from the heart to his hand. And he murders his brother right there and then in the field. And as I read that story about Cain murdering Abel, his crime is not a crime of passion. It's a premeditated crime. Despite God's warning, Cain hates his brother. And because he hates his brother, he makes that plan to kill him because of his anger. Now, I understand, again, not everyone who is angry murders. Thank God that's true. I, I've already said that. I mean, for example, I, I had no um, intention of killing that kid on the ski hill. Um, too many witnesses. <laughs> I did want to teach him something. I wanted to scare him a little, too. And I know that's not right. That's not what God has for me. Why? Because the heart matters to God. I think of Psalm 51, what did David, the second king of Israel, say? He said, my sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God will not despise. Or Jeremiah 31, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Check out Ezekiel 36. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's the spirit of the law. That's the spirit of the law that Jesus comes to fulfill, not abolish and as the kingdom of heaven becomes a reality in our lives, this is what we've been talking about in this series, as God's spirit begins to fill us, God's spirit changes us. We become increasingly the people God purposed us to be. And it's not that we're perfect, it's just that we're different. We become better versions of ourselves, our new selves. What's the condition of your heart before God? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Let's keep going. Jesus moves from the heart to the mouth. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that's a, an Aramaic term of contempt, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. It's tough teaching. And once again, Jesus contrasts the Pharisees' interpretation of the law with God's interpretation of the law. And he says, if you slander someone in this world, here's what's going to happen. You're going to end up in court. That's just a fact. In Jesus' day, it's really surprising because it's not this way in our world, you could get in trouble for saying something about someone that simply wasn't true. Don't you wish that was true in our world? It was in the first century. 
You'd end up getting called in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious council. But that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is it's not the Sanhedrin you've got to worry about. That's the earthly consequence. No, what you've got to worry about is something greater than that. There's a kingdom consequence. He says you have to worry about the fires of hell. In the original language, the word is Gehenna. That's the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they would burn garbage and before that sacrifice babies. So, Jesus says, you got to worry about going to the trash heap if you're angry. Here's how I would maybe say it. If you trash talk someone, you're going to get trashed too. And whenever you're resentful, whenever you harbor anger in your heart, Jesus says, and it comes out of your mouth, you are running the risk that God will throw you out too. So this is some very serious business. We don't see it this way. We don't see anger on that list of serious sins, but it is. It matters to God. As Christ followers, we cannot under any circumstance allow anger to stay in us, to come out of us either. We can't go all judge Judy on people. I know it's entertaining and I know it's fun, but that's not what we do as Christ followers. Now, I know we all do it at times, and it starts with the heart, and it moves to the mouth, and before you know it, it moves to behavior, but Jesus says, so what? Let's not just acknowledge that behavior like we're prone to do, but we're all sinful. Now, Jesus says, let's do something about it. And this is what I love about Jesus, is he tells us what to do next. Because he recognizes that the people listening to him, his audience, they... They're struggling as he's saying these things. And so at first he says, here's the problem. And then he says, here's the solution. But sometimes we don't even want to hear the solution. We, we say, well, it is the way it is. And besides, that, that, that thing I did to that person, it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't need to say anything to that person I offended. It's water under the bridge. Besides, it's not like I murdered them. By the way, back to where we started, it, I do a lot of good things for lots of bad, undeserving people, which makes me a really, really good, good person. And that's got to count for something in God's eyes. But Jesus says it doesn't. It's not how God sees it. God doesn't think like we think, and God sees how we think. He hears the things we say, and when we harbor anger in our hearts, when we harbor resentment, we can't just let it sit there. We can't resign ourselves to it just lying there. We've got to do something about it. And that's why Jesus continues, verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Okay, so, so going to church, going to temple in Jesus' day. Jesus says that's not, only the, that's not the only box to check. We act like it is. Yeah, we, we, we go to church, we worship God, at the same time we somehow harbor anger in our hearts the whole time. And so Jesus says... That's not the way it should be. That's not right. Before you go to church, Jesus says, even if you're at church and you remember I've wronged someone or they've wronged me and we've had it out, Jesus says, 
reconciling with that person is more important than going to church. He says, stop doing what you're doing. Doesn't matter who's right. Doesn't matter who's, what's, who's, who's wrong. Stop doing what you're doing. Walk across the room and make things right. I remember telling one guy once he was doing something he wasn't supposed to do routinely and he wasn't going to change and he had no interest in changing and he said to me one Sunday afternoon, he said, see you next week, Pastor Steve. And I said to him, without kidding at all, I said, don't bother. I said, I don't want to see you here again. I said, there's no reason for you to come here to ever darken the doors of this church again Unless you're willing to change. Well, you could imagine a lot of people did not like that. I didn't like saying it. I know it's hard work resolving anger. Otherwise, we'd resolve it. But anger is hard work too. And it's the work of the Christian to resolve anger. I mean, frankly, the number one reason people have left Northgate over the years and the number one reason why people leave any church over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, is unresolved conflict. The number one reason people come to this church from other churches is unresolved conflict. Not willing to get in there. Not willing to do the hard work it takes to make things right. You hurt me and so I'm Done. We are so good at avoiding. We are so, so good at being self-righteous. But Jesus says, God knows your heart. Hebrews 4 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We all got to face him someday. We've all got to do business with God sooner or later. And what we think and how we feel and what we say and do to others in anger is serious business. Yes, but I've never murdered anyone. Congratulations. Mazel tov. I'm sure you agree. That's a pretty low bar. That's a a pretty low standard. And that's why Jesus says, first go and then come. He says, don't go to church and act like you love God if you hate your brother or sister who is standing beside you. That will not score you any points in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the Pharisees did. They didn't love people. They loved the rules. They loved religion. They loved dressing up and going to church. And the bar was set low for them. The bar was set low for the rules. I mean, it was high in some silly ways. But when it came, when it came to the important matters, it was set really, really low. And they said the same thing we, we do. Well, at least I'm not a murderer. And because of that, they felt justified in hating people. Because of that, they thought it was okay to hate people. Because it wasn't murder. But Jesus says it is. He highlights the problem and then shows us the way out. Let's put it up on the screen. First go, then come. First go, then come. First be reconciled. Go and be reconciled, Jesus says. Then come to church. Well, then I'm not coming to church next week. 
And I've heard people say that. Because I'm not going to forgive that person. Stop it. That's what Jesus, he says, stop it. Grow up. Apologize. I've had to do that more times than I possibly care to admit. I'll be getting ready to preach on something, and I realize, you know what? That thing I'm preaching on, I just did that to that person over there. And before I get up and tell everybody what to do, I've got to go over to that person and tell them I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit convicts me, and I have a hard time preaching and a hard time worshiping until I make things right. See, what Jesus is doing, he is moving beyond the veneer of self-righteousness. He is moving beyond the face of religiosity. And he says, none of that matters if we're not right with the people in our lives. He elevates relationship above everything. He even elevates relationship above going to church. He certainly elevates it above an attitude of self-righteousness. So don't just go to church and sing some songs and listen to a message and feel good about yourself, Jesus says. Reconcile with love people. James says, be doers of the word. Focus on the heart. I sometimes hear about people who go to this church who will not speak to other people in this church because they're angry at them. And that makes me angry. That makes me righteously angry. I mean, my blood begins to boil, and I'm thinking to myself, I say to them, what are you doing the call is urgent. It's not, well, maybe I'll get around to it eventually. No, Jesus says, it's, it, it's do it now or else the fires of hell await you. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last Penny. Get to it, Jesus says. Don't wait. Make things right now. I'll give you a few examples. If you haven't talked to your parents because they hurt you and you're angry, talk to them now. If you haven't talked to your kids because they've hurt you and make you angry, talk to them now. There are a number of us in this room in that boat, a number of North Gators. I know because I've talked to you. The invitation of Jesus is not one of safety and self-preservation. It's one of self-denial, which means the excuse, if I talk to them, they'll just hurt me again, is not an excuse. Now, don't take this too far. Yes, if your husband is beating the snot out of you, you don't have to reconcile with him. You've got to forgive him, but you don't have to move back in with him. But that's very different than I don't like what my mother says to me. I don't like how my dad makes me feel when I'm with him or how my kids speak to me. If you've been unkind to your spouse, stop it. Say you're sorry for doing it. If you're one of those people who gets unhinged on social media, and some of us are, stop doing it. Read a book on anger. Spend some time with someone who is really calm. Spend time at the feet of Jesus. Ask him to show you people through his eyes because when he does, when, when you are angry at someone, you will realize, you know what, that person I'm angry at, they're just as hurting, hurting as I am. 
They're human, just, just like me. Jesus is clear. Make things right quickly because the consequences are dire. We all know human relationships conspire out of control. Families broken, estranged. It's a new way of life in the United States. But it's not the life God has for his people. It's the life that God's people choose to live more often than not. But it's not the life God has for his people. The way of Jesus is not the way of self-justification. It's not the way of self-defense. It's not the way of self-righteousness. It's the way of reconciliation. That is the way of the kingdom of heaven. And the Christ follower recognizes that. He recognizes his own brokenness before God, his own sin, and then seeks forgiveness. And he, do, he does what it takes to make things right. Now, we're not responsible for how people react when we reach out to them. But we are responsible for trying to make things right and moving heaven and earth to make things right. And we are responsible for the attitude in our hearts. So reflect upon the state of your heart. Are you nursing anger? If so, let it go. Do what it takes to heal that broken relationship. That usually means saying, I'm sorry. And do it today. And I want to get very specific because some examples come to mind. And yes, I'm speaking to you whoever that is, if you're in conflict with someone here at this church, if you find yourself avoiding someone at this church, if you find yourself not speaking to someone at this church, let it go. Do what it takes today, not tomorrow, but today to reconcile that relationship. And I say this with no joy, but if you're unwilling to do that, then don't bother coming back next week. say, I would, but you don't know what they did to me. True. But you don't know what you've done to them. And you don't know what you've done to God, by the way. Because you know what? 2,000 years ago, God did not meet your sin with anger. He met it with grace. He met it with the death of his son, his innocent son on a cross. He who has not even a resentful bone in his body, he who harbors no resentment at all, made the first move toward you. He made the first move toward me, the resentful, toward the angry. Romans 5 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still resentful, Christ died for us. And that's our call too. Because we belong to Christ. Anger matters. It matters more than we can possibly realize. The heart matters. First go and then come. And then make things right. Let's pray. Jesus, this is just such a hard word. It's a hard word for me to preach. You know that already. And we all, we see our guilt in some way. We see the blood on our hands. And we say we're sorry. We're sorry for being so stupidly self-righteous. 
We're sorry for devoting energy to resenting the people in our lives. And we take a step forward today. And we say no more. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And help us, give us the courage to do what it takes to make things right, even when it hurts us more, even when it doesn't feel good. Because we trust you. We trust that what you have to say to us, there's freedom in it, there's love in it, there's power in it. It's going to be better for us, not worse for us. And so help each one of us this week do what it takes to make things right with the people in our lives. Set aside doubt. Replace that doubt with courage. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Thanks for watching. want to let you know about two things you can do. First, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11. And second, if you're feeling this ministry and want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.